Welcome to the Fitness Matters Podcast, where every week we talk about the fitness matters that matter to you. I'm Paula B., YouTuber, certified life and weight loss coach, soon to be author, and your best middle-aged fitness friend. Are you ready to talk about the fitness mindset that matters to you? Me too. Let's go. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 216 of the Fitness Matters Podcast, where every week we talk about the fitness matter, fitness matters that matter to you. And this week, you guys, this is the Paula B Book Club in participation with Chirp Audiobooks. I am so excited to not just like talk about this book, but to actually listen. And hear from you guys what you think about this book. So we are here on Zoom, and I have my friend Mary with me, who is going to introduce herself here in just a second. And I'm going to tell you guys that I am very excited to hear all of your opinions. So whether you are here live in the Zoom or you are listening later on the replay, please feel free to share your opinions and thoughts and feelings and your imperfections about The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. So Mary, welcome to the podcast. You are my Thank second you. guest ever. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> and really everybody here on the Zoom, you all are my, however many numbers there are guests on the podcast. It's so, so exciting to have you here. So Mary, tell us a little bit about why you're here because you emailed me and said, oh, I want to be part of this one. <laughs> yep, I did. I did. Can you hear me okay? Because I can. Yeah, yes. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, long story short, cause we could make this very long, um, 10 years, almost 11 years ago, my best friend sent me this book in the mail, the gifts of imperfection, let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Um, she's also a social worker. I'm a social worker. Um, we're good buddies. And, uh, so I read the title and I thought, Hmm, what does, what, is there some hidden meaning here? But you see my sophisticated tissue. I love it. <laughs> uh, anyway, she sent me the book and I thought, wow, uh, it's, are you trying to say something? And she said, no, no, no. I just listened to her TED talk. She's amazing. I don't have time. You might have time. See if you like it. And uh, the world, you know, conspired to really change my life. So I read the book. Uh, I love the book. I read it many times. I had a book group with friends um, and it led me to read all the subsequent books and to go to Texas and train with Brene to become a Daring Way facilitator. Um, so this is the work that I live and I love. Um, I provide groups, individual work. So I work through the curriculums with people to do whatever kind of work they want to do to become more wholehearted and um I like to also describe myself like Brene does. I'm a recovering perfectionist and aspiring good enoughist. Uh-huh. And that's a real part of my daring and a part of, you know, what I work to every day when I bump into this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it changed my brain and it changed my perspective. And that's what I really feel is so helpful with other people. I've done all kinds of social work. And this one feels really intuitive and best to me because it's part of what I do with my family, with my friends. It's how it's shifted my relationships to not only other people, but to myself. So. I love it. I love it. So I feel like I know the answer to my first question, which I'm going to put out to everybody here on Zoom to join us in the chat. Did you like the book? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I feel like maybe your I answer like is yes. <laughs> I like the book. So, you know, I, I didn't ever buy the new book, but you can see it's a really well-loved old book. I love um, that. And yet listening to it again, 
the, the new one was a very different experience. I have this book is almost 11 years old. It's obviously very well loved, mm-hmm. but I had a very different experience listening. What did I remember? What didn't I know? You know, so that was super fascinating for me. Yeah, which I want to get to next, but I want to say that we've got lots of yes, very illuminating. Yes, enjoyed listening, loved the book. Yes, I liked it. Amy, who I happen to know is the person who gave you the book, <laughs> has a resounding <laughs> yes. And I just, I love this. I'm, I'm super excited about this. I, I have to tell you guys, so I loved the book, but not for the reasons you might think. I loved the book because I disagreed with it. I disagreed with so much of it that I found it to be one of the most helpful books I have ever read. I have never done so much journaling and so much thinking about a book as a book that I I disagreed with. And it was so fascinating to me. And I do actually want to come to you about, about the timing of when you read a book and how it can impact your life because of the timing. And I honestly think that for me, the timing of this one was that I was so ready to hear and explore because of where I am on my like self-recognition journey, mm-hmm. rather than simply taking it in and saying, okay, I, you know, I, I resonate with everything or I don't resonate with everything. I was really willing to like read it and and think about it in a very different way. And, and for me, by read, actually what I mean is listen. And so I am really curious before we go a whole lot further than that, did you actually listen to the book? Because a couple of weeks ago when you and I chatted about, about having this conversation, you had not gotten the audiobook. So I am curious how you felt about <laughs> listening versus reading. Well, uh, Almost so much. I when I go into Amazon, this is the number they say. Do you want to send another one? You know, like I love it. Probably <laughs> you know, like every everybody I know has this book. Um, so one of my clients recently said, "I'm listening to it, mm-hmm. and she talks so fast. I'm going to do it half speed." And I go, "Oh, I don't. Jeez, I don't oh. know." Really? Uh, And I thought, well, that's interesting. But I felt that way too. I felt like she was talking fast, but she wasn't. She's talking normal. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And I already knew this book. I mean, I have memorized parts of it. Yeah. But listening to it, I had a very different experience. And it felt like, wait, slow down. Because in a book, you're reading and you go, oh, that's really deep. I'm going to underline that. Wait, Mm -hmm. I want to read that again. And when you're cooking or driving or folding the laundry, walking your dog, you're not stopping. So there's the part of audio that I love. I listen to books all the time. I always have something fun Uh to listen to. And this book, I was just sort of, I went back to my client. I said, yes, (laughs) she reads fast, but it's not fast. There's a lot of information in it. So much like manifesto book of last month of the menopause manifesto, I ended up buying that book to have a reference guide. I think that this book is that kind of book that you would want to have both listen because you want to soak it in because that's my way to absorb, mm-hmm. but also to have it so you can have a reference guide. That's almost exactly the way I felt also about about menopause, menopause manifesto <laughs> and about this book. And I we're skipping ahead, you guys, but there's already a book picked for next month. And I know for a fact that I'm going to want both versions of it as well. 
I love listening really specifically because I love hearing it from her voice. Like I, I came to Brene Brown, like cold. I I've, I've heard of her, but I've never read any of her books. I've never seen her talk. I've never, again, timing wise, I have been recommended her books for at least 10 years. Like I remember the first person who recommended her books for me and it was probably this book when it first came out. And yet somehow I haven't read any of her books. I haven't followed any of her anything, which is why I feel like it was such perfect timing for me to, to listen to it so far right now. And I am probably going to purchase a, like a physical copy of the book as well so that I can see it and hear it. And, and do that same thing where you absorb in two different ways. And I already know that next month's book, which, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and announce to you guys right now. It's how emotions are made. It, I, I know for a fact that, that one's going to be so dense that I'm going to want both versions of it too. But what I loved really specifically was hearing her voice. Yeah. I loved that the stories had so much resonance, had so much, like, even though, I mean, you know, like when you're listening to an audiobook, you can tell that the person is reading. Even if it's their own words, they're they're reading. It's not like they're just talking to you. It's not a podcast. And so I found it so interesting that even though it had that I'm reading a book, you could still just feel her, like what she felt while she was reading it or while she was writing it even. And I, I loved that connection piece, which I did feel was, I mean, very apropos for the book when she's talking about connection and you hear it in her voice. It's like, yeah, that, that is a connection to have the author actually talking to you in an audiobook. So Sally says the hard copy twice, second time for notes. Exactly. <laughs> and Jean says, I'll read it twice once to get an overall view and second time to take notes, which is how I generally, generally do things anyways. Um, Trisha said, I listened and had a hard copy in front of me at the same time. Oh, now that's a good way to go. I've, I've only ever done it one or the other. So that's really interesting. Lots of pauses to make notes and journal, which is actually what I was thinking when you were talking, Mary, that I actually did stop the audio numerous times to like sit and, and just think and be like, okay, how do I feel about that? So I, I did very naturally pause the audio the way I would have paused, you know, a physical book too. That's, that's so interesting. Um, Oh, and Trisha says, excited for how emotions are made. Yeah, <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> but still, we're going to talk about this one. Okay, so so which, I'm, I'm curious for you, hearing it now and going over it again, you know, kind of with the mind to, to talk about it at a book club, yep. did you hear it differently as a book club participant than you have read it as like a facilitator and as somebody who is thinking about teaching, like listening to it this time, Mary, did you, did you kind of take it in more personally or were you still kind of thinking about how can I explain this to somebody else and how can I help somebody else with this material? Good question. Definitely personally, because that's how her work really um, is the most powerful for me because I have to take it in first you know, that one drip at a time, how does it resonate for me? And, you know, people will call me to, you know, or want to see me and, and I'll tell them how I work, what I do, you know, and sometimes it's a good fit. And I always have a conversation or even a Zoom, you know, sometimes we're just not the same, you know, we're not meant to travel on the path together to, you know, sort of illuminate. So that's great. Okay. That we know something really important. So um, <laughs> years ago, uh, 
we don't, they don't make facilitators anymore. Brene's not training more people like me. And, and people have come to me and said, Oh, would you come and do a training for my staff? You know, well, I wasn't trained to be a trainer, so I can't, but I could do the work with you. You know, parents come and say, could you work with my kids? I go, I could work with you. (laughs) You know, you can do the work, which is really what I did for myself. So, you know, it's very, and that's what the training was, was doing the work so that you could understand the work so that you could then share the work. Mm -hmm. So even though I knew I was going to share it, I did have the understanding that I would talk in a different way about it, but it was like, wow, what have I, what have I gotten? And what have I just assumed? And then cut to the chase. So the beginning of the book obviously is all the really hard stuff, Mm -hmm. the perfectionism, shame, and the back is, you know, play and rest and, and you can see it's not very, still not very underlined. <laughs> so interesting. So inter- And do you think that has something to do with just like, like you even said, like the density of the first half of the book, like there was so much to think that by the time you got to the second half, it was like, my brain is still kind of almost working through that first half that yes, this resonates with me, but there's not as much that I'm doing with this until I really kind of muddle through all of that first half. Well, 11 years of muddling, I think I'm actually okay muddling, but what I think (laughs) is, is it's my um, propensity to do work, work on something, you know, it's like, okay, I'll rest when I'm done working or I'll play when I'm finished. And this reminded me again, which is how many times do you need to hear something to you really hear it till it makes a difference was like, we can't postpone play. What it, what does that mean? So I, um, I, I bake, um, I only bake one thing, biscotti, but it's pretty good. And um, I live in a building with seven other families and I decided to bake extra so I could leave something for everybody to have with their, you That's know, nice. coffee. For I the love holiday. it. And I took out my, my color, what watercolors and I just took brown paper bags and just did trees, like the most basic silly tree you can imagine. I love it. But you know, that five minutes of doing that besides the baking itself was just a lovely break. I didn't make a big mess, but it was very personal and it was kind of fun and they weren't perfect. And, and so it just reminded me, can I stop and insert that? Or can I stop and the kitchen is a big mess and go lay down for 15 minutes because I'm super tired at that moment. Mm-hmm. So it was a reminder of not just the work of the work that I'm always going to, you know, have the propensity to say, well, what hard thing should I slay versus maybe I don't have to slay something today. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. really self-love as you talk about and self-compassion. Yeah, I don't always have to work so hard. Well, and that's funny, because I mean, my next question to you and to all of you, let me actually say that um, Lydia said that I listen to Brene's podcasts and use her books as study guides or study book studies with my staff. She has Mm -hmm. fabulous study guides on her website, which I have not actually gone to the website yet. Again, I, I really took this in and wanted to kind of wanted to kind of hear it for myself before I thought about it in a way of yeah, teaching or facilitating, which I mean, was the original question about this. And so I did my best to facilitate the book studies, which I think is, is it's such an interesting concept for me to think about as, as a teacher. I mean, I do think of myself as a teacher. Mm-hmm. That's what I do with this podcast is I teach certain concepts and ideas that, you know, some of which I've learned from other people and some of which I have kind of developed for myself, which is part of why I loved this book, because I found it so helpful for developing my own ideas, the things that I didn't resonate with. It was like, 
well, why not? What do I think about that? And, and it really helped me clarify some of my own things. But so thinking about the difference between, you know, kind of teaching and just putting it out there versus creating a study guide and creating a curriculum from it. I do think that's a very different aspect of it. And so, so reading the book as like, okay, I'm just taking this in for myself, I think would be a very different experience from reading it and taking it in in order to explain it oh, or facilitate sure. it with somebody else. Um, and Margaret says, Inter- or inserting extra art to my greeting cards is my passion. My family and friends appreciate the extra touches. I love that. And it's interesting because while you were saying that and, and calling it rest, I was thinking that that was actually the guidepost of creativity, that that little also, bit of for sure. creating the tree and thinking about how mm-hmm. to make it beautiful is honestly okay so here's my next question my next official question to you is what was the guidepost that you resonated with the most and for me it actually was rest and the one that i resisted the most was the creativity so super funny you're so great that's so i am so creative and yet i don't think of myself as being creative like when you're talking about oh yeah i made a little tree on the paper bag i would my, I, while I'm listening to the story, I'm like, I would never do that. <laughs> and I even felt like, a, I don't know if it was clear in my body language, but I even felt a little bit like, I'm not creative like that. Super interesting, right? It's very fun. So, so which was the, the guidepost that you did resonate with the most? It's always going to come back to perfectionism for me. That's my, you know, the creativity I'm weaving in slowly and I understand the therapeutic benefits of it but it always comes back you know I thought you know if there was a quote I wanted to share it was in the chapter so which it's I guess it's the second guy post well that so cultivating self-compassion so that's really um, a huge part of the work I do too for myself which is you know I, I give this talk I labeled it self-compassion who knew it was an option <laughs> I love well, that yeah if I knew <laughs> if somebody suggested that this was a good, healthy thing. Um, you know, I was really proud of how hard I was on myself. Like, whoa, like when you think about that, when you change your perspective, it's like, wow. Yes. How do you come out from under if you are your finest critic? Um, you yeah. know, when I, I never said it that way, but you know, in that way of really uh, perfecting harshness to myself mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, when when I was practicing this, you know, years ago, uh, the, I wrote a, a short, a long story short. I some uh, child asked me to write a, a um, recommendation to get him into a school that you can only be recommended to, you know. And um, my husband was his coach. I was his religion teacher. I knew this kid really well. So and I spent two weeks writing, and it. it was oh, I, it was five pages long. It was a big deal. Wow. I took it really, really seriously. I said to my husband, "Proof it, blah blah blah." Anyway, he didn't get to it. Two weeks pass. He can get to it. I just sent it off. He, another week later, said, let's go over. And I go, no, I already sent it. And he's like, oh, did you proof it? Because I'm like, everybody who knows me knows I'm a terrible speller. And my grammar is not great either. And so he said, I said, well, you know, spell check was fine. And in the end of the, the um, recommendation was, you know, my knowledge of, of this school was based on my, um, my disguised and accomplished rather than distinguished and accomplished father-in-law who attended the school and was a very accomplished person. And this was the thing he was most proud of as being an alum of. And he's like, whoa, you have to send another one and you have to make it right. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, it was a just, it was a real watershed moment. 
And I remember standing in my kitchen and saying, I have a choice. I, mm-hmm. I, I did my best. I really did a good job, but it was a spelling error. And if I send it, it's going to make it worse. It's not going to impact this kid, hopefully. Yeah. And, um, and I just was like, I got to go. And I hung up. I didn't give him a hard time. That night we're walking the dog. And he said, you know, at the risk of poking the tiger, you took that really well. <laughs> I, love <laughs> I, I love it. He was surprised. Your husband clearly knows you very well. <laughs> so surprised because I could have seriously launched seriously yeah. launched i'm like i sent it to you twice you know i'm a bad speller i could have totally done the blame game and mm-hmm. i didn't i was like you know i'm practicing self-compassion i gave myself a break i kind of was uh, you know amy on the outside laughing at the story like you did a great job and and the kid got in and then and right. then when he was going off i i pro- printed that out for him and i circled my mistake and i said you you don't have to be perfect just do your best yeah so it was, it, that was a really amazing moment for me to be able to um, not have it be perfect and then not beat myself up for it. Yes, exactly. Well, and so, so Anna Jean says, um, agree, perfectionism makes us want to change to be what others want instead of being authentic. <laughs> Sally says, who knew it was an option? <laughs> I love that, <laughs> which job. is so true. I mean, that's such a, that's such a great way of putting it because I do think for so many people, they don't realize that that imperfection is an or self-compassion about your imperfections is even an option. Yeah. And um and and Terry says, isn't it ironic that when we can give self-compassion, we can also be compassionate and give more grace to others. Uh, In fact, I don't think that's I don't think that's ironic at all. I do think that that is the best byproduct of loving yourself and being compassionate to yourself is because it helps you be compassionate and loving towards others. Like you just, you practice it so much because you have so many more opportunities <laughs> to do. be compassionate with your own imperfections. I mean, if you think about how many imperfections we notice in our own brains, as opposed to noticing on the exterior of other people. I mean, I, I think the thing that's really interesting, really specifically about, um, about that being the guidepost that resonated with you most, I have to tell you, I didn't, resonate with it very much, but would have many years ago. And this has been my experience of, I remember when I very first started on YouTube, how I I was probably, it it was literally my very first or second video that I made a big mistake. And I made a conscious decision. This mistake is staying in the final product. (laughs) I'll be honest. Yeah. I make that decision frequently from laziness because I don't <laughs> want to do it again. And yeah, that is single-sided, double-sided. Single. Exactly. And that is, that is the gift to me is that the work that I do that is imperfect that I put out into the world because it's physical work. I don't want to record the, the videos again. I don't want to do the workouts again. Like this is my workout. I've already done it. So when I count nine instead of eight, or I, you know, I do one side twice instead of the other side, there you go. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to it. So, yeah. so I've been practicing that self-compassion and that here's, here's my imperfectness in the world for years. I mean, at this point I've been on YouTube since 2013, let me do the math nine years, almost nine years. Yeah. So, so yeah, that one to me felt like, yeah, I, I, I totally, it, it felt very easy for me and yet it is the thing. And this is part of what what I do find not difficult in my work, but I do have to put myself in that place where I remember, oh, that's right. 
other people don't practice being imperfect the way I do because I practice it all the time. And I, I do see how, how difficult it is for so many people to, to even admit that they're imperfect at all. I mean, ever, like even admitting it, let alone putting it out into the world and like being compassionate with yourself about it. It's, it's so hard to even think that you, that you might be imperfect. So I think that's really interesting. That is the guidepost that you come back to, because that was the one that I kind of not that I skimmed, but that I kind of, I listened to it and I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas again, for me, the creativity was the one that I, I thought, okay, I do understand that this is important, but I don't want it to be because I don't feel like I'm creative. Mm-hmm. And so that is one that I, I truly feel that that's the one that I'm going to come back to mm-hmm. and probably reread a couple more times and work on practicing and implementing and and having it in my life in a way that feels like a gift and feels like Mm. something that I want to have in my life in, in a way that feels good. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, Anna says, I resonated with the guidepost about play and creativity. When I was homeschooling my five children, I made a point of being very rigid with school hours in the morning, the academic stuff done while making time for creativity and individual pursuits in the afternoon, painting, crafts, free time, not being so scheduled. But what resonated with me is that I'm a workaholic and have a hard time taking the time to play and be creative. Exactly. I, I do think that... And correct me if I'm wrong, but play and rest were together. And was creativity all by itself or was Mm. it with something else? This is this is why this is why I would like a hard copy of it. Like that is truly that is probably the thing that I found difficult about an audiobook is because I did want to kind of visually capture them in in physical chapters the way that it is in a, a hard bound book. Okay. Cultivating creativity is the sixth guidepost. Okay. So that is all by itself. And letting go of comparison, which is also a very powerful part of that. And then number seven is cultivating play and rest. Interesting. And then eight, calm and stillness. Okay. I do think this is really interesting because I think for some people that creativity and play might seem very interconnected as opposed to the play and rest. And this was actually something that I thought about for me personally, that play and rest feel not quite like opposites, but they didn't feel as connected to me. To me, when I'm playing, because I do incorporate so much play in my work. I mean, I if my work isn't fun, I'm not doing it. I, if, yeah. if any of you, I know some of you are really specifically here from Chirp Audiobooks and you may not know me, you may not know me from YouTube, from my, my workouts, but my workouts are supposed to be fun. Like mm-hmm. I give oh, them yeah. silly names. I, I goof around. I joke. I tell stories. Like to me, my work is so much play. It's so much fun that I don't think about I don't think about cultivating that, which is nice. That makes it come very easily to me. But also I therefore don't equate that with rest Mm -hmm. because to me, it's my work. (laughs) So, so for me, playing in my job feels like kind of its own guidepost and then making time to rest, making rest a priority, taking time away from my work, taking time away from my playing, frankly, (laughs) feels like its own guidepost. And I think that was very interesting. That was actually something that I wanted to talk about. It was, uh, you know, we're going to call it my next question. 
something that I'm going to ask all of you for the, the guideposts that were kind of put together in pairs like that, where there are times where, where you personally, while reading the book kind of thought to yourself, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull these apart. I'm going to, I'm going to think about these kind of separately because like I was talking about, like with the play and rest to me, that didn't go together. Is that how, or rather for you, Mary, do you feel like any of them that were kind of clumped together? Did you kind of separate them out in your own mind? Or did you agree with the way that she had them arranged? You know, so many years in, I, I would, it'd be hard to separate that for me in a, in a certain kind of way, because it all, I think part of reading this book is where, what are you good at already? You're like, check mark. Okay. I don't have to worry about that. Yes, you know, right? and, and that's why, that's why I, even when I'm working and I'm uh, facilitating a daring greatly or rising strong work, I always say, go start with this. This is our checkpoint. So you're good on this. Great. You say, I don't have to worry about that. And then these other things, you know, so you're, I'm saying that's so interesting. That's the one I know the least about. She's asking me all the stories about that. Um, <laughs> I do. Um, play is actually defined. I don't know if it's in this book or other books as, you know, something we do that, um, that we want to keep doing, that we lose track of time, you know, that, that, that we're immersed in and that, mm -hmm. that we love doing. So our creativity can be playful and it also can be restful. You know, if you want, you know, I love the part of the book and it gave me permission to rest more when she, you know, uh, when she says something about, I, I, watched a movie. I deliberately said, I'm having a tough day. And I watched a movie, you know, this mm -hmm. gave me the idea of, should I wander aimlessly through the house, not being able to get my crap together? Like, ugh. or should I just stop and say, I'm like having a tough moment, which goes back to self-compassion. Mm -hmm. One of the parts of it is mindfulness. We can't practice self-compassion unless we know we're struggling or suffering. Yes. Wait, I'm having a hard day. I am, you know, Amy will call what you doing. I'm cleaning the kitchen. She goes, what's wrong? <laughs> What's wrong? <laughs> You're cleaning out your junk drawer. You must be wanting to, you know, control something. Which, you know, <laughs> I love that you have so many people in your life who know you so well. Well, what's wrong? <laughs> if you're cleaning something, something's going on, Mary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this, so whether they cross over and you say, you know, comparison is a huge part of this work for me because that's a big shame gremlin. That's a perfection gremlin. So take comparison from the other chapter, you know, I think they're all kind of blend together. And so make it your own, which you've done. And I'm fascinated that you don't know all of our other ways. I love when I meet people who don't know Brene, because if you, if you like her, there's a good chance you're going to love her uh -huh. and the work lands, but you've already done a ton of work on yourself. So that's where you have your own, hmm, this is kind of fascinating, but, and when you told me you didn't agree, I was like, so Brene would love you because she doesn't <laughs> want just people saying you're the most, you know, you're a, you know, you're a Buddha. She doesn't want that. And, and I do think that really that clear. is a, a big part of the, I, I call it the, like the self-help journey. I don't love the phrase self-help, but maybe just the, the self-understanding journey. I remember the first time I disagreed with somebody that I had agreed with for so many things. And then there was this one little part that I'm like, I don't think I agree with that. And it felt like, no, but if I, you know, if I like this person, I like their teaching, I have to agree with what they're saying. And I have to, you know, follow everything that they're doing, which is, I think how most of us come to self-help is we, we find something that we resonate with and we just, like, we kind of, you know, go through the prescriptive steps. Like, you know, here's step A, here's step B, here's step C. And then, and then we'll go through that. But I, I gotta be honest that where I am in my journey, and I mean, I'm several, several years in that what I enjoy now is the disagreeing. 
I love that that gives me a chance to stretch and grow Mm -hmm. in a way that I wouldn't if I was just agreeing. And when we first start, and I mean, even for a long time, I, I do think that the agreeing, it feels very good. It feels very very helpful to have something that really resonates because if you, all you do is disagree, it doesn't give you a direction yeah, to go in. Yeah, you know, you do have connection to, there. you do have to already have kind of a body of, of work or like a mental model for this is how I see the world. Mm-hmm. And then you can agree or disagree. And that's what I really liked about reading this work right now is that there was a ton that I agreed with. I actually agreed with all of her conclusions I just didn't agree with any of the steps to get there, (laughs) which I think was super interesting. (laughs) And I, and I love that, that, that gave me, I mean, kind of like what you said, it gave me the permission Mm -hmm. to really take a look at it and be like, well, how do I think about that? And why do I disagree versus just like dismissing it out of hand and being like, well, I didn't like this book. I loved the book. I mean, I, I legitimately loved the book because I found it so challenging because it made me like sit down and really think, what do I think about this? You know, here she's saying this thing and I don't disagree with, with what she's saying. I disagree with how she got there, (laughs) which was so interesting to me. But so, um, what did I disagree with? Um, I'm going to get into that in just one second, but let me actually come back to a couple of other comments here. Cause Lydia said, wouldn't it be great if everybody had work that was played to them? Yes. It would be you guys. I encourage it (laughs) if you can. And even if you think you can't, because I, I do feel, I do feel very strongly about enjoying everything. Truly, I mean that I, I feel like this is kind of my mission in the world to, to show you that exercise doesn't have to be grudgingly done. It doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be work, even though it's a workout. That it's supposed to be fun. You're moving your body because it feels really good to move your body. And I do feel that that element of enjoying what you do can be incorporated even into a job where I'm trying to think of a job that I wouldn't like, but honestly, anything where I'm sitting still, I think that I would have to work at it in order to think about it as play. But I do think that that is an interesting challenge to come to versus just looking at your job and being like, well, this isn't fun. It isn't play at all. What way could you make it play? How could it be playful to crunch numbers or how could it be playful to be in a meeting where, you know, somebody's getting yelled at or whatever, like, like, how could you, how could you rearrange that in your mind to have some elements, not that every minute of every day, I mean, trust me, not every minute of every working day of my life is all play, but so much of it is because I want it to be like, I have, I have consciously included Mm -hmm. playful, fun elements in my day because it's important to me. Which is why this guide, this, this particular guidepost was like, check, just like you were saying. I was like, oh, done. Nice. I can check that one off and work on the creativity one. Um, so Amy says, for me, cultivating calm and stillness was, um, um, I, was that the one that you agreed with, Amy, or the one that challenged you the most, letting go of self-doubt and supposed to, I'm going to guess, Amy, because I know you, <laughs> that maybe the letting go of self-doubt and the supposed to was one that kind of challenges you. Because I agree that I think I, I think that that's um, kind of a tough one for lots of us. The cultivating calm and stillness, I loved that one. I I don't consider that something that I'm amazing at, but I I enjoyed the the thoughtfulness and and I really enjoyed actually um, Brene's stories about that one really specifically because that was one of the ones that I think she struggled with the most. Um, 
Charlotte says for me, it's the numbing and powerlessness. I numb with food. And that, that is definitely something worth, you know, worth exploring and noticing. Like, I love that one of the things that I really took away from this book was, was the same kind of thing that, that I teach that simply being aware and exploring these ideas can bring so much into your life that maybe you didn't even notice. You know, so much of us or so many of us kind of go through like, oh, well, this is just the way it is. You know, everybody feels this way or that way. And it's like, oh, when you, when you can just kind of take a little lens to it and take a look at your life, it's like, oh, there is another way to think about this. So that's where I disagree because I think that many people read this book and they thought they were the only ones who felt that way. So that common humanity was what, you know, I read it and I go, how does she know how I'm hustling? How does she know how I don't feel good enough? Because those were things I lived with, but wasn't necessarily aware of. They were such a part of something, you know, it's something like back here. I say to people, like it's, we're going to talk about things you already know because you're living them, which is why this book is so resonant is because it's our lived experience. That's how her research is done. Mm-hmm. Real people's stories. Yeah. And, and so having somebody at that point of my life, and it would be different now if I was reading it now, but who said that this was how your perfectionism was getting in the way, how uh, shame is different than humiliation, where I want to guilt my kids, not shame my kids. You know, those were things that nobody was talking about. I wasn't. And I was already a social worker. I'd already been in therapy. Like I had already done a ton of work. But this gave me the language and the experience to actually label something. And then you could work on what you can label, what you can identify. So interesting. I'm, while you're talking, I'm honestly trying to um, remember a time in my life where I didn't notice that that was how everybody felt. I, I can't remember it. I, I have always felt that that was the common thing in our in our lives that we all Everybody, feel yeah. this kind of shame. I, like I remember being aware of that at a very young age. Again, like you said, though, not really having the language for it. Right. But I've never, I've never felt like I was the only one who felt that way. That's so great because you're like one in three million, which is I mean, super people, interesting. People, I, like speak to this because this is, um, and I've met a few people like that, and that was probably the culture you grew up with. That there was some messaging that you grew up with. That I, I doubt it. I mean, again, know, thinking about the messaging so? in my family, I doubt it. <laughs> but I, I don't know where I came to that. I, that's speaking of speaking of things that challenge me. That's something I'm really going to spend some time thinking about. Like. Yeah. Why did I know that? How did I know that? I have no idea. Super fascinating. Well, it is fascinating because most of the time, for most people, shame is a zoom lens and our world gets really small, really fast. So if you, you know, if you're looking at the whole world and then you really, you know, narrow your view, you can see so you're not accurate. And we think it's just us, which is another part of the self-compassion is that, you know, our common humanity says, um, uh, how are my troubles everyone's troubles? But that's that for me uh, had to, you know, I was only thinking of I'm the only one who's suffering. This is like for teenagers, a really hard thing when I work with these kids that all kids are insecure. Or everybody worries about what they look like, you know, whatever the issue is. Um, uh, everybody wants to belong. All of these concepts are things that if you're, if you're, if you haven't had anybody suggest that everybody experiences it, 
You might not, but you know, I think in the last 10 years, this work has infiltrated into so many places. We are completely unaware of it from Ted Lasso to Monica Lewinsky, you know, shame is something we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, we're seeing people talking about vulnerability. So the way that this work has, you know, fingered into our consciousness, we, I can't really separate that. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I, I totally agree that it is something that is becoming so much more commonplace and so much easier for, for everybody to feel like it's a commonality. That's, that is really interesting. Um, Brene Brown, uh, Sally says Brene Brown also contrasts play as meaningless and creativity gives us meaning. So mm -hmm. interesting. Um, Anna says, I love it. When I read self-help or listen to podcasts, I take what is helpful to me, eat the meat and spit out the bones. They say, I love that. That's such a good visual too. And I totally agree that that is such a great place to be in good, your self-help journey where, yeah. where you can kind of tell what's the meat and what's the bones versus trying to take it all in and trying to make it make sense without really listening to that part of you. That's like, no, this doesn't resonate because when, when you're just still trying, 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 you know, that's, that's not incorporating it into your life in the way that, that all of us who, who teach self-help, we want you to, to make your own decisions and incorporate it in your life, your way. So I love that. Um, Do you see what Amy wrote? Maybe it's your superpower, which I think is very true. Good observation, Amy, that's my Amy. Um, that, uh, and, and the way that, that it could be your natural state of understanding my struggles are everyone's struggles. And you do create that in the hive, this, this opportunity to be in a safe, caring place that you can, you know, I, I consider Brene's work like anti-Facebook, you know, the opposite, not anti-Facebook. <laughs> right. No, but anti I totally, I know what you meant by but that. The opposite. Yeah. <laughs> it's not your airbrushed um, version of yourself. It's like, what's gritty, you know, what connects us is what's real. You know, it's the first thing we look for in someone else. And it's the last thing we want to reveal, but we want real, we want authentic. And, but we have to be vulnerable in order to show that stuff. And that's what you practice in the, in the, in the group, in the hive. I know that because I'm in the hive. Um, and, and, and this, okay. So yeah. coming back again, this, I'm super fascinated by this and I apologize for making it all about me, but that's what I'm going to do. I, <laughs> I don't recall a time when I wasn't willing to share things that hurt me, things that felt bad, things that I was confused about. I, I was born talking. <laughs> I mean, I was not. My mother will actually tell you that I spent the first year of my life asleep, which I think is hilarious. Other than apparently I stored up so much stored energy that I like have been talking ever since. But I, I've always loved gritty. I've mm. never, ever, ever been that girl who just wants to have like, you know, small talk about the weather. I'm always like, tell me everything that's wrong with you tell me <laughs> like, like that has always been my mode of conversation, which is way too intense for most people. But, but I've always wanted to know, like, what scares you, you know, just, just tell me like, what's, what's your deepest, darkest fear? What's going on with you? <laughs> so, so that is really interesting again, to me, that has always been the thing that I am most interested in and most willing to, to share. I mean, I, I feel like I've always been willing to share that. And I'm sure there's a time in my life when I was not. And so that is a really, that is, that's going to be my homework. I'm giving myself homework. I'm going to think about that. Like, how did I come to that? How did I get to that point where, where I was willing? And, and I mean, to me, this is my question to, to all of you, like, how, how do you feel about sharing parts of yourself about being 
gritty sometimes. Is there a place where you personally feel is like your inroad to that imperfection or that vulnerability? Like, well, Mary, really specifically you, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're my co-host. Like, what was the first like shared vulnerability that you were like, here I go. Here's, here is who I am in the world. So that's a, that's a really, when I listen to you talk about your, you know, willingness to share. So it's, we would in the work characterize that as willing to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability um, through this lens, through the daring lens is one that we do for a specific purpose. So we're vulnerable in service of connection, intimacy, um, and so, uh, so it's sharing with the purpose of why we're sharing and what's the outcome of the sharing. So while I was also a very sharing person, I would share indiscriminately. So I would share, and maybe there was no, no place for that work to land. So I was at a party and somebody I would meet and I would share something that there just was no foundation. They weren't a person who earned the right to hear my story. I was just sharing my story. So I'm much more deliberate uh, we call it creating a marble jar. Who are people who have earned marbles in your jar? You know, who are people who are showing up for you? Are you trusting the people who are your people? Or are you trying to hustle for belonging with the people who aren't really your people and trying to hotwire connection through vulnerability? And I remember very distinctly when I read this line on my book, page 61, um, where she says, it reminds me that our imperfections are not inadequacies. I remember reading that and where I was sitting when I read that, you know, like I remember, I just assumed that if I wasn't perfect, I was inadequate. So this understanding that because I was in, I, I, I just, I, when my oldest son was learning to drive and I call my husband, I go, I'm not going to work with him driving because uh, it's too hard. It was a long story why it was so hard for me. And, <clears throat> and he said, nobody likes it. Everybody, everybody, nobody likes it. You know, just whatever. I said, no, no, you're always telling me you don't have to be perfect. This isn't 16 years of being a mother of three sons. I'm going to say, I can't do this. <laughs> I literally did everything before that. And he said, what are you talking about? I go, this is bad for me. If this is bad for me, it's really bad for him. I want him to love to drive. It's a great thing. It's just a thing for me. But I wasn't inadequate as a mom because I couldn't, I couldn't uh, teach this kid to drive. I couldn't and, teach my kids to drive either. <laughs> well, and, but, you know, but, but, and I'm fully aware that I am literally the worst passenger in the universe. And that was, that was long decided yeah. before my kids ever like tried to learn how to drive. I was like, I'm not going to be the one who teaches them. Absolutely not. <laughs> so funny but but this was a big trigger for me you know I drive up to school and everybody the moms were in their bathrobes and their slippers and and one mom said to me oh don't you care that don't you want to teach your kid I'm like no uh, that's not he'll learn you know <laughs> yeah, no but it was still hard for me to do that because I wanted to I didn't want to stick out you know I didn't want to be the one who wasn't doing what everybody was doing uh, oh, but once I could see that it didn't make me less than that I couldn't do that. So that was a, that was one of the biggest turning point lessons for me. Yeah. 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 Wow. I love that. Well, and so that kind of leads to um, what is going to be my final question here is that how do you feel like in general mm-hmm. about embracing your imperfections? I mean, again, this has been your work now for yeah. 10 years. Cause did you, 
did you know immediately that you were going to like study her work? Like upon first reading where you were like, Oh, well, here we go. Now my life just took this turn and I am now officially in this camp over here. Or was it kind of like, I read it. And then a couple of years later, I came back around to it or like, how, what was that journey? Oh, for you? It was years. I, 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 when my middle guy went to college, it was all very slowly happened. Okay. You know, it just, the work presented itself and it, it was like, read the book. Great. Read the book, love the book, share the book, and then uh, live the book. And then I went to see her live somewhere. Another book came out during, anyway. And I said, gee, well, I, I want to know and understand more about her. Mm-hmm. And then it was this chance I was already trained. I'm a, you know, a, a, a licensed social worker and as a, you know, as a mental health professional, I could train to do her work and then facilitate it. And we have a lot of leeway how we do that. I've done it with faith communities, fifth graders, couples, individuals, you know, it's so adaptable because this, these issues are resonant with people. And, and she's come out with this new book Atlas, which will be another opportunity to use a glossary of the work she's done since this book 11 mm-hmm. years, more than 11 years ago. I think she wrote it in 2008 or so, um, which is where do you go? And people love this work, but it's hard work to do. So, you know, having somebody to work with, excuse me, work with you, unpacking it is really the fun part because, you know, it's, you don't have to travel it alone. Yeah. Well, and that's what Terry says. It's a huge relief. It's scary to take the leap, but it's radically less effort to be honest and to spend so much energy trying to hide imperfections. And once you commit to being honest and vulnerable, you find your people. I I literally could not have said that better, Terry. That is so beautifully put. And it's so true that it, I, I, again, I do think that I do think that embracing my imperfections really specifically is born of laziness in so many ways. Like, like I just don't have the mental bandwidth to try and pretend like I'm perfect. Like not even a little tiny bit. I I'm wildly imperfect wildly. And so for me, this is, this is my question, not just how do you feel about embracing your imperfections, but how does that like, how do you have the chance to practice that on the day to day? Is there some way that, that on the day, like an, a specific example, and this is, this is, I'm going out to the gallery on this one. Cause I would love mm-hmm. to read your comments. What is something that you think will come up today? And this might be a really good time to talk about this near the holidays. What do you think is something that'll come up today? That'll give you the chance to just practice being imperfect, to just put yourself out there like that. So, so Mary, we're going to start with you and then you guys, because this is my last question. So please join the chat. What is something that you might do today? What is an opportunity today to embrace your personal imperfections? Well, this was a perfect opportunity. To right? Do yeah. Like was lighting good? Was I, I don't know, with a shadow, uh, you know, did I, was it going to say the right thing? My mouth was dry. Um, um, yeah. So it's showing up myself. Yeah. And trusting that this is good enough. Yeah. And I think when you were saying it, it made me think about why people are drawn to you. And, you know, it's not because it's perfect and shiny and airbrushed. It's like, this is real. <laughs> and the, and you do find your people. Somebody wrote that you find your people. And I found my people through this work because I wanted to be brave and brave and afraid. So my husband's like, oh, good luck. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. yeah. I don't need you luck. Know, I got this. I'm imperfect. <laughs> I don't need luck when I'm imperfect. Thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> so yeah. fun. I love no, it. It's, it's a daily yeah. choice. It's a daily choice, really, yeah. to say. And it's not that those gremlins don't chirp in my ear sometimes and say, you know, you're not good enough. It's like, okay, who 
who am I going to listen to? And that's the mindset work which you offer. It's just a helpful thought. Yeah. It's a helpful thought. Exactly. And Amanda says the family Christmas gift, my husband and I, oh, forgot to bring in from the garage. It's okay that you forgot. Absolutely. And I don't know what the gift was, but I imagine there's an opportunity there to either like make a joke or make it like a learning teachable moment about like, remember to bring things in from the garage (laughs) or something. I mean, I do think that I do think that that is something that that I do somewhat naturally, and it's not necessarily looking for the silver lining, but it's like, what what can I get out of this? Like, what what is there to to maybe learn or feel good about from a situation in which I could just as easily feel absolutely terrible? Um, oh, it was in a, a pair of adjustable fifty five pound weights. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting! What a great gift. <laughs> FYI, I wish I was at your family. (laughs) Geraldine says, yesterday I cooked the worst Christmas dinner ever as the turkey was undercooked and then horribly dry. I could have let it ruin the dinner, but tried to enjoy my time with my family. Oh my gosh. I love this. That is, that is a great opportunity to embrace your imperfections, especially with turkey for anybody who is vegetarian or, or vegan. I don't know if you know, but Turkey is like the hardest thing to cook. It absolutely is. It is either undercooked or it is dry. And sometimes as Geraldine discovered, it's both. It's it's a dreadful meat. And I don't know why we put so much pressure on ourselves for it to be perfect because it'll almost always turn up not quite right. My mom and I were just talking about that. Um, Oh, that was just on Christmas Eve. We were, we were reminiscing about Christmas's past and there was a Christmas that she Um, Because when I was a kid, we used to basically have Thanksgiving dinner also on Christmas. So in the morning, she'd been baking a bunch of pies. And when she pulled them out of the oven, she turned the oven off. And then, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour later, when she went to put the turkey in, the oven was still warm. So in her mind, the oven was still on, but it wasn't. She had turned it off. So, you know, four hours later, when the turkey is supposed to be done, the oven, of course, is stone cold. The turkey is ruined because it's been in a lukewarm oven for four hours. So we ended up having pie. And I don't remember what else she said. I was I was really young. I remember the incident, but I don't. I think we probably just had leftovers of the Christmas Eve dinner on Christmas day. And I, I mean, what else are you going to do? And, and you could, you could use that as a reason to not be compassionate with yourself. But my mom was, I, I didn't get the sense. I didn't ask her specifically like how she felt about it, but I didn't get the sense that it was something that she was like beating herself up about or felt bad about. It was like, Oh no, sometimes we make mistakes. Well, this is, but that's, if that's what your message was that you grew up hearing, then that's, oh, I guarantee at the time though, it was not the mess. I just, if I had to, (laughs) of course it was a thing. Of course it was. My dad was angry about it. So I don't think the message I got was embrace your imperfections, not from that specific incident, but I love this. Okay. So here we go with some comments. Amy says dessert is a perfect meal. It really is. I totally agree with that. Margaret says that being brave is a huge thing when you are a person that has already dared to be vulnerable and was seriously violated. The recovery time, well, if it happens is monumental, but when that moment comes again and you dare to be brave and vulnerable, this is a great book. I think um, women shelters should all stock this book. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Much like any young woman planning to leave home and go to college or university. I totally agree. Um, And Lydia says, I'm famous for at least one disaster. Every time I entertain, burn the rolls. Yes. (laughs) I actually burnt Christmas Eve dinner um, two days ago. Um, not the whole thing. Thank goodness. It, there was still enough edible parts of it that 
that we just moved on. Um, Tina says disasters make for good stories later in life. I totally agree. I totally agree. I went in doubt, just laugh about it for sure. Um, And Amy says that asking for help is always a challenge for me, but I embraced my imperfect tech knowledge and asked my husband to drop everything and fix my laptop. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I embraced my imperfect tech knowledge today too. And, and you guys, we made it through. I mean, this was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I feel like, I feel like we kind of got a little far afield from the actual nuts and bolts of the book. But I love that I love that this was such a good conversation about the ideas of the book because I, you know, I I feel this way, especially having listened to the book. What I what I took away from it was much more of like a broad idea, which is why I'm gonna go back and and listen to it again and and have a physical copy to read again, also, is that when you have like the broad strokes over there that that you get to like kind of make decisions from that. And so that's why I this has been such a great conversation where we can just talk about the ideas of the book. And then, and then to everybody in the audience, you know, whatever resonates with you resonates with you Chew the meat and spit out the bones. And thank you for saying that. (laughs) I don't remember that one forever. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. Mary, thank you so thank you for having me much. Yes. This is a wonderful, wonderful chance to be imperfect together. So appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone. Yes. And thank you. All kinds of thank yous popping Mm -hmm. up in the chat here. And I'm going to tell you guys all, first of all, thank you, every single one of you for being here. It was wonderful to have this conversation. I personally feel like I'd love to do this again next month for our January book club. I really liked having a conversation, being alive and having the chat where we can all be in the same place at the same time, talking about the same thing. So that's very likely. I have not confirmed this yet. Again, this is in partnership with Chirp Audiobooks. And so I have a conversation with them about what what they think about what to do with the book club and and how they'd like to present it also. I mean, this is, again, it's a partnership. So I will announce that we are reading How Emotions Are Made. I'm super excited about this. I will also tell you this book really specifically because the last two books have been only available in the US. And I do apologize for that because I had strong opinions about what I wanted to read. So this one, I really specifically said, let's make sure that this is available to Canadians as well. So this one is specifically available in the Canada, in the Canada, yes. (laughs) The US and Canada, the Canada. And if you have not already purchased something from Chirp Audiobooks, you can still get $5 off with the code Paula5. It's P-A-H-L-A and the number five with no spaces. Um, And it is a much bigger book, um, which is why I'm pretty sure that we're going to go all the way to the end of January. I think January 31st is a Sunday. So I'm pretty sure that's, that's five weeks in between. It does give us a little bit more time to make our way through that book. I know it's dense. I, I, I'm fully aware of that. And also I'm so excited about reading it. So, so you guys, thank you so much, everybody yes. for being yes. here. So, so appreciated. And I will talk to you guys again soon. Take care. everybody. Bye-bye. If you're getting a lot out of the Fitness Matters podcast and you're ready to take it to the next level, you're going to love the Get Your Goal Coaching and Accountability Group. We take all the theory and knowledge here on the podcast and actually apply it in real life on your real weight loss and fitness goals. It's hands-on, it's fun, and it works. Find out more at paulabfitness.com slash get dash your dash goal. And let's get your goal.